Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. The account of the resurrection of Jesus in Mark's Gospel is both brief and surprising because it ends with the words, Bewildered and trembling, the women came out of the tomb and fled. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Many scribes do not believe that it was the intended end of the Gospel and so have added a further set of verses in order to complete Mark's Gospel. I believe that, however, as it stands, Mark's Gospel brings into sharp focus the contrast between two dominant human emotions, fear and hope. These brief eight verses are about the intersection between hope and fear. They tell the story how after the Sabbath had ended and early in the morning on that day of resurrection, the women prepared spices to go to the tomb and anoint or embalm the body of Jesus. This was unusual because bodies are embalmed before burial, not after. So the women went to the tomb early in the morning and when they got there, the large stone at the entrance of the tomb was already rolled away, much to their surprise. They entered the tomb and met an angel sitting there who tells them that Jesus has been raised and has gone ahead of them into Galilee. The women are confused and overwhelmed, so they fled the tomb and kept quiet about the encounter. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They were afraid. The intersection of fear and hope. This is an existential crisis in which we often find ourselves. Even when the signs of hope are there, fear still dominates. The gospel ends with the words that say that they were afraid apparently incompletely and without closure. But I would like to treat with those words as calling attention to the existential crisis in which we find ourselves and the challenge that remains ahead of us unresolved. Trembling and bewildered, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This chapter is unusual but because it appears incomplete. Here are women who came to the tomb and who find the tomb empty and also an angel who tells them that the one they are looking for has been raised from the dead and has gone ahead of them to Galilee and they should meet him there. Yet they flee from the tomb and say nothing to anyone because of fear. The narrative is not only about fear and its power but also its persistence 
even when we ought to have dispensed with our fears. They say nothing because no one would believe them. In Luke's version of the story, the women tell the eleven what they saw, and it says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They have had a lifetime of silence and invisibility in the culture in which they lived. So this message of resurrection, so new and so game-changing, would only confirm the view they already had that the women were talking nonsense. They said nothing to anyone because they had a difficulty framing it to themselves. It required time to sink in. We have had the experience of some very earth shattering realities. Everything has changed and there is a glimmer of hope and we have yet to believe in this hope or let it sink in and its implications clarified for us. We are reading this in Mark, but we have the other gospels and we have the book of Acts and the story of the church that the women were afraid was not the last word. These people were to become a worldwide movement of courage, of hope, and of faith. They endured opposition. They endured persecution. They endured hardship. And yet they spread a worldwide movement. It teaches us something about fear, that it is spontaneous and immediate. Fear will keep you imprisoned in the present and smack you down and reduce you to pieces. Fear is initial, but hope is eventual. Fear is unthinking, but hope is after much thought. It is logical and rational. It is deliberate. It is not a feeling. It is a decision and an approach. Fear will make you panic, but hope will make you dig deep and work out your values and principles and take courage and act. Hope is the step and the action you take. The women fled from the tomb as they had left their homes early that morning with spices. It might have seemed a pointless step, Jesus already dead and buried. But in that moment, any movement towards Jesus was a gesture of hope. And as it turned out, they were already assisted, the stone was rolled away. They were already accompanied, the angels were present. Sometimes we take the step of hope and even though we do not know where it will lead us or who will accompany us. I remember as a child in my grandfather's yard where we used to live that it came to dinner time many evenings and my mother would have to leave the yard and she did, to make, she did not make up her mind which yard she was going to stop, whether Mr. Headley with his breadfruit tree or Mr. Walker, or she was going to go to Miss Amy's shop to trust something for her children to eat for dinner. But she left anyway. And as she walked and considered her options, she would make up her mind where to get her something to eat. The story of the leper in the siege by Arameans against Samaria. They said, we do not well. If we stay here, we will die. 
This has been the story of the people in the Caribbean. This is the story of the people in Central America who are going in caravans of unaccompanied minor, minors to the U.S. southern border. They are on a trek of hope. It means taking one step in front of another and making a dangerous journey. But hope requires us to make concrete and practical steps. Sometimes all we can do is flee from the tomb. It is not a place to stay, to make that onward journey. There is a way in which this was the vision we sold a generation. Go to school, we told them, so that you can get knowledge and increase your options. Go to church and build your character. Go to work and engage productively. A little sleep, a little folding of the hands and poverty will overtake you like a thief in the night. I suspect that the problem nowadays is that people only want money to spend. They do not want that one step at a time approach. This hope about which I speak is looking for an ideal, a city with foundation whose builder and maker is God. We learned on the journey to be courteous, to be kind, to say good friend better than pocket money. What we are weeping from the what we are weeping is from the windrush generation and from the farm workers and from the students and those who worked in nursing homes or in fast food joints and made a way for us. Now we want things to drop from the sky and to believe we are cute or blessed. We have to develop a worldview, not based on banditry, but on hope, a day-by-day, step-by-step, casting your bread on the water, for in many days it will return to your approach. That is the hope that will overcome fear. Instead of being afraid of the dark, it lights a candle in our lives. Secondly, the hope which overcomes fear takes thought and takes time. The angel told them to go to Galilee, for there you will see him. This was not a walk in the park. It was a difficult journey on foot. Remember the couple on the way to Emmaus who took the 11 kilometer journey to and back to Jerusalem. They were to ask themselves, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us and opened the scriptures to us along the way? Hope is a matter of settled consciousness, a worldview, a philosophy of life. Things need to percolate in your soul, resonate in your heart, and be connected in your mind. You need to pay attention. You need to recall. You need to connect. If you are paying attention this past week, we would have noticed the big ship stuck in the Suez Canal. It was as tall as the Empire State Building in New York. It was 400 meters long and 50 meters wide. It was carrying 220,000 tons of containers on it. And it was stuck in the busiest shipping lane in the world, the Suez Canal. 19,000 vessels per year pass through, and each day, $9 billion of goods 
passed through the Suez Canal. It was stuck because a puff of wind, 30 miles an hour, blew the bow of the ship onto the side of the canal. And because it was so long, the stern was on the opposite side of the canal. So more than 400 ships carrying the goods of the world's international trade were stuck behind it. You know how it was released? There were tugboats from all over pulling the ship off the banks. They were dredging operations. And they had all kinds of risk managers, engineers and the like, trying to come up with the solution that they hoped to find within a few weeks. And all of a sudden, it was lifted off the banks. Why? Because there was a full moon that caused the tide to rise. And just like that, it was free and came to rest in the bitter lake so that they could examine the ship for damage and other ships could pass. You know the lesson? Man is less powerful than he claims. And God has more options than we do even consider. Hope is the refusal to sin against hope in despair. The refusal to give up. It is to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. We need to build a perspective of hope. Not merely positive thoughts and hype, but engaging in the broader perspective in which the non-physical and the non-material things matter and count. One of the things COVID has done is to lay bare modernity. Now, after a year of COVID, the birds sing in Wuhan, China, and the dolphins swim in Venice, Italy, and the skies are clearer over San Francisco and over Beijing. We need to be able to uncover the invisible things amidst the noise and clutter. Heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs o'erflow, flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Thirdly, hope is invested in the person of Jesus Christ. Hope is not an event, however spectacular, or a political platform, however ingeniously constructed. It is not a bridging of the wealth gap, however substantial the undertaking. It is personal. It is not so much the resurrection as it is the person of the risen Christ. In Mark's gospel, they, including Peter, will see Jesus in Galilee. In Luke, they encounter him on the way to Emmaus, but did not recognize him. In John, when at last Mary Magdalene encounters Jesus, whom she thought was the gardener, he, she would not let him go. It is Jesus who is the ground and the goal of our hope. She called him Rabboni. He is the direction and he's the measure and he's the goal of our hope. Hope takes its cue from him who fulfilled and will be fulfilled and climaxed in him when we see him. We build our social systems and have visions of the ideals in our world by reason of the things he has said and done 
and the kingdom he's building. For the violence, the murder, the deaths from COVID are not the best we can hope for because it belies who Jesus is. History has to reckon with him who came from the dead on Easter and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's our talisman. He's our bright and morning star. He's our hope, or as Paul puts it, Christ in us, the hope of the glory. He's the one who said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I am Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and end. And it says, I has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has in store for them that love him. So whatever we face, COVID or the fear of COVID, violence or the threat of violence, want or anxiety, we say with the hymn writer, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. <laughs>